0: Well, I've had the privilege of uh, growing up here at New Spring and one of the things I love hearing is Mark's stories. He tells great stories. One of my favorite is one of a mom and a daughter and they're in the kitchen and they're making a a family recipe. This recipe has been passed down from generation to generation. They're making meatloaf. And uh, the mom does it. She's teaching her daughter all the, all the special ingredients that make it their meatloaf. And right before she puts it in the oven, she takes out the kitchen knife and she chops off the ends. And then she sets it in and the daughter turns to her and says, now I get the special ingredients, I get all the other stuff, but why did you cut the ends off? Well, the mom pauses and she says, well, because, you know, I don't know. That's just the way mom always did it. I just learned from grandma. That's how she did it. And so they pick up the phone and they call grandma and they say, hey, grandma, we're making the famous family meatloaf, you know, the one that you passed down. And, and uh, right before we put it in the oven, we did just like you did. We always chop the ends off. And Why do we, we do that? And uh, grandma kind of laughs and she says, well, that's a good question for my granddaughter. I don't know. I'm not sure. That's just the way Nana taught me. You know, my mom taught me and that she always, right before she put it in the oven, she cut the ends off. So they call the nursing home and they say, hey, we need to talk to Nana. And they get Nana on the line and they say, hey, Nana, we're making the famous meatloaf, you know, the one you passed down. And and, uh, right before we put it in the oven, we did just what you did, we cut the ends off. Why do we cut off the ends? Well, Nana just starts cracking up on the phone because she says, I don't know why you guys are cutting the ends off. I cut the ends off because I didn't have a big enough pan. That's a fun story, but it illustrates a good point. Why do we do the things that we do? If you're new to New Spring, or maybe you call New Spring your home, you might walk into New Spring and say, man, this is great. This is awesome, man. They have kids singing on stage. We have a fourth grade worship leader. How awesome is that? That's so cool. Man, it's great. Things are happening. We're doing things for kids and family ministry. It's such an important thing, but we want to pull the side of the road as a church real quick. Mark uh, wrapped up a series on spiritual warfare last weekend. And next weekend we start going pro. Marcus told me it's the biggest thing he's going to be a part of. So don't miss it. You need to be here for it. You invite someone to attend with you and check it out. But let's pull this side of the road for a second and let's ask why do we make the meatloaf the way we make the meatloaf. Let's look at our family ministry and the strategy behind it. We want, as a church, we want to put that in front of you, hopefully to encourage you, but also so that you, as a new springer, if you consider yourself a new springer, can be a part of what God is doing. And if you're in the room and you're not sure, maybe you'd say, you know what? I came, Jesse, because someone promised me lunch, or I came, Jesse, because I'm dating her, or whatever, whatever reason you're here, maybe someone promised you free coffee from the coffee shop. And if you're in the room, you say, I don't know that I believe what you're talking about. I don't know if I believe that that's God's word. I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Can I just tell you something? We're glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. But I hope, I hope when you leave today that at least, even if we can't agree on everything, I hope you believe that New Spring Church is for kids, that we're for parents, and we're for the families in our community. Because we are. We are. We love them. I, I told you, I've been, I grew up at New Spring, my, my family came here when we were in the fourth grade. My mom, I'm the youngest of five kids. And every Sunday, my mom would load all five kids up in the car and she would take us to, at the time we were going to a church just a mile down the road from our house. But she said, okay, I want my kids to grow in their faith. And so she heard about at the time what New Spring was. We started coming here for, to, to New Spring and it wasn't called New Spring at the time, but we came here when we were in the fourth grade. And so I grew up here and I got to hear Pastor Mark speak. And, and in 2004, or 2005, Mark set a vision for our church where he said, hey, we want to be a church that's, we don't want to be a country club for Christians, we wanna be a church that exists for the people that aren't here yet. And he cast that vision in front of our church. And he said, hey, we're gonna be a church that instead of, build, instead of building barriers, we're gonna build bridges into our community. And we're gonna invite people in that might not give church a chance, but they'll come in. And when they come in, they'll hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, yeah. And that's, that's what I gotta be a part of. And we began to ask a question. Uh, in 2006, we launched Kids World. And I, as a high schooler, I got to start volunteering with our senior administrative pastor, Dan Kubish. Uh He started out as a children's guy, you know, well, in 2006. He actually started out as Mark's assistant. He used to run the soundboard. But uh, in 2006, he started kids ministry. And I got to volunteer with him. And we, we started asking the question, Mark and, and Dan and Billy Poor, executive pastors, started asking the question, okay, what is the faith of the next generation worth? Now, I look around this hour and I see a lot of volunteers in the room. And can I just tell you what I love about New Spring? If you go to any family ministry volunteer and you ask them, what is it worth? They know what the answer is. Because we've, we've answered the question, what is the faith of the next generation worth? If you're a volunteer in the room, can you help me out? What is it worth? Everything. It's worth everything. We believe the faith of the next generation is worth everything. And when we started asking that question in 2006, 2006 and we got that answer, we realized that we had to change some things. We had, to, we had to give buildings to kids ministry. We had to give budgets to kids ministry. We had to give staffing to kids ministry. Mark, uh, Dan Kubish was kind of his right-hand guy. And Mark said, okay, Dan Kubish, my right-hand guy, you're gonna be over the kids. And we started, we, start, we didn't just say it's worth everything. We said, hey, if it's worth everything, we better back it up with our actions. And so, yeah, well, let me show you a picture. This is, um, This is the Family Life Center. That's what it was called when I came here in the fourth grade. Uh, We served donuts in there, okay? That's what we did. And at the time, when I was in fourth grade, I thought that was awesome. Uh, But we started to ask, what's the faith of the next generation worth? And as a young student, I saw our senior pastor give up his office for kids ministry. And I saw a church say, hey, we really mean it's worth everything. That room is still on campus. It just looks like this now. Yeah. That's what God has done. That's how God has moved. In 2006, when Mark, Mark gave us, Mark and Billy and Dan, they sat down, our leadership of the church sat down, and they said, okay, why do we exist? If we're a church that builds bridges and not barriers, if we're not a country club for Christians, what does that mean? Now, they, they went to God's word, and, and you won't find this verbatim in God's word, but I believe it comes from God's word. They gave us a handle as a staff to carry this with us into our weeks and into our meetings and into into our planning sessions and all of that. our purpose, New Spring Church's purpose statement, I have this hanging in my office. Our purpose is to help people make an internal connection with Jesus Christ and with others in order to grow strong and produce fruit for the kingdom of God. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. And God has been working at the corner of K96 and 21st to do some incredible things because we said, hey, ultimately it is about Jesus and the faith of the next generation is worth everything. But let's stop for a moment and ask, why do we make the meatloaf the way we make the meatloaf? We've got a lot of lights and colors in the hallways and it's fun, we have fun, but why? Why do we do that? Well, because we believe the faith of the next generation is worth everything. And that speaks into the strategy that we have as a family ministry. If you're observant in the room, or if you're watching online, you haven't seen it yet, but I'd love to take you over here to uh, this uh, very weird Amazon order that I purchased, okay? (laughs) You got 3,000 ball pit balls over here. And in this one, there is 40. And the reason why is because on average, the American church gets 40 hours a year to invest in the life of a child. So we fill these 40 hours with intentionality and we fill these 40 hours with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we fill these 40 hours with God's word and with people that can come alongside kids and teach them and and, and, and we we do that. We want kids to do what they did up here. We want them to be able to say, I am who you say I am. But there's 3000 balls behind this 40. And the question is why? Well, because the church on average gets 40 Hours a year to invest in the life of a child. But every parent in this room, on average, will have 3,000 hours of influence this year with their child. And with COVID, being home a lot, that number has probably gone up, and the 40 has probably gone down. And as a church... We're saying, okay, if the faith of the next generation is worth everything, we can fill the 40 hours with all the intentionality we want. But if we leave those 3,000 hours on the table, if we don't come alongside parents and partner with parents and leverage the influence they have, we could miss it. And it's worth everything. So as a family ministry, the reason we do all the things that we do is because we believe we need to partner with parents. We believe, God's word is clear, that the primary, not the only, but the primary spiritual leader in the life of a child is their parent. In some cases, their grandparent. In some cases, an aunt or an uncle or a stepdad has become the primary spiritual leader in the life of a child. So how do we partner with parents to make the most of those 3000 hours? So we're gonna talk about parenting today. Now, I want to address the elephant in the room. Nobody drove to New Spring today to hear Jesse Mahana's thoughts on parenting, okay? I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and an almost three-year-old. I have no idea what I'm doing, okay? I'm figuring it out with the rest of you. But can I just speak into it? We're gonna talk about five principles and these principles, we use, they, we use them in our curriculum. So from birth all the way through 12th grade, we try to lean into parents and help them understand these principles. But ultimately, we believe these principles come from God's word and what God has to say about how to be a parent in a culture that ultimately does not help parents very much. We wanna be a church that can come alongside and partner with you. One of the things that we say a lot is what happens at home is more important than what happens at church. Friday night, we had Kids World FX. 25 kids went public with their faith. It was awesome. But at that event, I stood on this stage and I said, parents, we believe what happens at home is more important than what happens at church. And only, I don't know, 15 minutes later, I got the privilege of baptizing several kids. And you know what several of them said in their testimonies? I wanna thank my mom who led me to Christ. I wanna thank my grandparents who led me to Christ. I wanna thank my dad who had a conversation with me. I was driving in the, co- my, I was driving in the car, no, that was not the case. Uh, their dad was driving in the car and, and the daughter asked, hey, can I accept Christ? We believe that what happens at home is, what is more important than what happens at church. We believe what happens at church is very important. We build the buildings, we do the programs because of it, but we want what we talk about on the weekend to make it home with the parents. So. George Barna, if you're familiar with the Barna Group, has done a lot of research for churches and families. And one of the things that he's described in his research is three kinds of parents. There's parenting by default. Uh, When we first brought our oldest daughter home from the hospital, I was was here. I I still go here sometimes. I just sort of do what maybe was done to me, or I do what was natural. You sort of do it without even thinking. I'm just a parent. There's experimental parenting. Experimental parenting is kind of like, hey, I'm gonna try whatever book I've read this week or maybe whatever blog I read, or I saw this on Facebook, or there's a crisis with my middle school students, so I'm doing this this week. You know, it's experimental. You're trying different things. But the third type of parent that George Barna describes is a revolutionary parent. And the goal of this type of parenting is to raise children who make their faith in God and their personal relationship with Jesus the highest priority in their life. Yeah. That's revolutionary. And George Barna said this. He said, parenting for this parent is a full-time job. The job they get paid to do, it's simply an addendum to the most important work they will do in their life. That's the kind of parent I wanna be. I hope I contribute something to the kingdom of God, but can I just challenge you? One of the, the most important thing you do for the kingdom of God might not be a something, it might be a someone you raise. And that's important as parents, we wanna partner with you. So we have five principles again, and I hope these will be helpful. The first one is imagine the end. Imagine the end simply means that you are determining your destination before you determine your direction. I remember when we brought our young one home, and uh, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't know what direction I was going in. I didn't know what day it was, okay? I hadn't slept forever. <laughs> And that's the way a lot of times parenting can be, but it's important to know your destination. And our church came alongside Sarah and I and challenged us to imagine the end with our child. In the book of Psalms, Psalms 127, the psalmist says, Children, I I love this, are a gift from the Lord. That's That's something our culture doesn't believe. Our culture treats kids at best as a burden and as worst as disposable. That's not what God's word says. Children are a gift from the Lord what you saw up here a minute ago was a bunch of gifts from the Lord they are a reward from him listen to this children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand how joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them he didn't say he didn't say sword sword or shield you hold tightly to an arrow you find the destination and you let it go And that, as a parent, is to say, I'm going to imagine the end when my child, when we came home from the hospital with our oldest, we had 936 weeks before she turns 18. We have a jar of marbles at home, and every week we take out a marble, because there's 936 to start off with, but now there's under 600. We continue to take those out, because we want to imagine the end. What do we want our daughter to be like when she moves out at 18, or 20, or 25? I don't know. We'll see. But... If you're going to do this as a parent, one of the things I want to encourage you to do, point your child to who you want them to be. I just recently got the privilege of overseeing our, our high school department. And I'm impressed by how many freshmen and sophomores are already signing up for college courses. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I've noticed is there's a culture that's obsessed with saying, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do after high school? What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Are you going to go to college? You better go to college. We ask them, We ask them, what are you going to do? Let's stop asking students that and instead say, hey, who do you want to be? When you graduate high school, do you wanna be a man of God that says, hey, this is where I stand and this is what I believe and I'm gonna follow God. And I'll I'll do whatever I need to do, but this is who I am. Do we want women of God to to say, hey, this is who God has called me to be and this is who I am when they graduate? point your child to who do you wanna be? The other thing you can do for your child is pray for them, pray with them. Now that's yes to model faith, But it's to say, hey, if we're pointing you to who you are meant to be, then we better consult the designer. We better ask the creator, who have you created my daughter to be? Who have you created my son to be? And we want them to achieve that. I could told you I had the privilege of growing up really around Dan Kubish. And one of the things that he did for me, and and, uh, here's the thing, he's my boss, I also married his daughter, so he's my father-in-law, okay? That's my life, that's the world I live in. Now, one of the things that he did for me and for my daughter, or for my my kids, but also for my wife, for his daughter, is he helped them see their place in God's story. Constantly challenges me with my kids. He says, Jesse, the best place for your kids to be is in the center of God's plan for their life, not necessarily the center of my plan for their life. I might want them to be a doctor so I can retire early, okay? But if that's not God's plan for their life, I don't want that for them. I want God's plan for their life. Help them see that they have a place in the story that God is telling. For us, when we brought our daughter home, when we brought our two sons home, we said, we wanna raise kids. Ultimately, imagine in the end is setting the priority. What's the most important thing? Well, Jesus did this for you. If you're a Jesus follower, he answered the question, what's the most important commandment? Most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and to love others as you love yourself. I want my daughter to love God. I want her to pursue a personal relationship with him. I want my sons to love others. I want them to be servants, I want them to be humble, I want them to be kind, I want them to be honest. And I want them to love others as they love themselves. If they can't love themselves, they will not love others well. I want them to see themselves the way God God sees them. I don't want them to believe the junk the culture tells them about themselves, They have to prove their value. They earn their value. They have value because they were created by the creator. That's what I want for my kids. Now, what's interesting, this is just a fun tidbit for you. All of our environments have a big three that are based on loving God and loving others as you love yourself in every environment. We hope that by the time they graduate out of that environment, they understand three things that are tied to the most important thing. First principle, imagine the end. Second principle is simply to widen the circle. I told you I'm the youngest of five and my mom would bring all five of us to church every single weekend. And this is something my mom did incredibly well and I'm very proud of and grateful for because my mom simply understood that if the faith in this generation is worth everything, she can't do it on her own. And can I just tell you again, even if you say, I don't know if I believe in everything you're, you're saying, I hope you leave here, believe in New Spring Church is for parents. We don't want any parent to come in and go out and think that they have to do it on their own. We know there's moms and dads in this room, but we also know there's single moms in this room and there's single dads in this room and there's, there's step dads that are trying to figure it out and there's stepmoms that are trying to figure it out. And we just wanna come alongside you. Widing in the circle says, I'm gonna leverage other voices to say and to send the same message to my kid. You don't have to do it on your own. We want And listen, I could take you to all kinds of verses. You go to Deuteronomy and you see how Moses encouraged not just the parents of the generation going into the promised land, but all of the Israelites. I could take you to Acts and Acts where you see the church come alongside one another and share each other's burdens. That's what we're called to do. You don't have to do this alone. Leverage other voices. um, Let me put it this way. My youngest is about to turn three. His name's Sam. And Sam... um, Sarah calls him a mini me, which means he's got trouble ahead. But um, he, he keeps telling me, he says, dad, I'm not big. I'm still little. I'm still little. He's waiting until he's three. He turns three on the 22nd and that's when he'll be big. But as early as three years old and our three-year-old, our early pre-K class in Adventure Avenue, we start assigned small groups in kids' lives. Why? Because we want to help parents widen the circle. So he moved up and he's in the elephant small group. Yeah, and he's excited about it. And he came home telling us, I'm an elephant, I'm an elephant, Uh, and we're excited for that. But here's the thing, can I just tell you something? I love my three-year-old small group leaders, but as much as I love them, I know I'm gonna need a small group leader at 13. So we're gonna start at three and we're gonna say, hey, there's another parent or there's, there's another adult in, the, li- in my, the life of my child that can say the same thing that I'm saying, that can say the same message of God's word and the gospel of Jesus. Part of widening the circle is changing your perspective on church. For some of us, we see in our culture, sees church as just, it's a content delivery system. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit down and I hope the message is good. Oh, it's Jesse, it's the backup preacher. Okay, whatever it is. Listen, hey, content is important. At the end of the day, it is about Jesus Christ, and that is very important. But church isn't just about content, it's about community. It's about community. For my kids, I want them to find people who can say the same things that I do. And so, if you're a parent in the room, I want to encourage you man, when you come to the same hour, yes, you're helping your kids hear godly content, but you're also creating consistency, you're creating community for your kid, a faith community. You're not meant to do this alone and your kids aren't either. The other thing I challenge you on is to change the perspective and to say church is not just about consumption, it's about contribution. My mom did this for me, she she would come, but guess what? Jesse had to stay for more than one service, why? Because mom was serving. And there were some times I complained about that. And my four siblings complained about that. Hey, can we go home, we wanna go to lunch. But listen, My mom widened the circle. I remember, I doubt she remembers this. I doubt Dan Kubish remembers this, but I remember me, Dan Kubish, Debbie Kubish, so my future in-laws, which is kind of funny to think about. And my mom, we went to lunch when I was in high school. I'd started serving, Sarah wasn't even on my radar yet. Okay, people, I didn't even know her. In 2006, I started serving in kids ministry. And Dan and Debbie took my mom out because my mom had served in the nursery and she, she continues to. And she, they took her out and they wanted to thank her for her serving. But at that lunch, I remember Dan speaking into the things that he saw in me. That made a difference. All of a sudden, all of a sudden I thought, hey, I, I could do something. This isn't just about me consuming at New Spring. I could contribute and my mom did that for me. Now, again, did my mom see those things that Dan saw in me? Yeah, but when she widened the circle, I had a godly man in my life to tell me that. My mom's the one that put Dan Kubish in my life, that put Billy Poor in my life, that put Dale Poor in my life, to speak God's future over me. The third principle is create a rhythm. Creating a rhythm simply says, I'm gonna make time for what matters. If imagine the end sets the priority, Creator Rhythm says I'm gonna follow through on the priority. This is the one point I wish Dan Kubish was here to just tell you because Dan does such a good job and I think the reason is because he has the experience of time to tell you, hey, I've seen it done a hundred different ways and I'm telling you this matters and the thing he would challenge, the thing he challenged people with on the marriage retreat, he said, don't fall victim to your calendar. You know, I said you had 3,000 hours, but there's some parents that would say I feel way way less like I have those three thousand, and way more like I have the forty, because the three thousand hours that I have are full of busyness. I got soccer practice, I got football practice, we got ballet recital. The kids have homework. I had to work late tonight. The spouse had to work late the other night, and then also sometimes they're with stepmom, sometimes they're with stepdad, sometimes I don't have them, and the three thousand hours are full of busyness. And one of the things Dan has encouraged me on is, hey. There can be busyness, but where there's busyness, there's often barrenness. And he's told me and encouraged me, hey, don't fall victim to your, to, to your calendar. Parents in the room, grandparents in the room, I just wanna give you permission. As a spiritual leader for your kid's life, you have the right to sometimes say no. You have the right to say, nope, we're not putting it on our calendar. No, we're not doing sports this time. No, we're not doing sports this season. Yeah, we could do sports for a season, but we're not gonna do it all year long. I mean, here's the thing. Maybe your child, I'm going to upset some dads in the room, okay? Maybe your child's going to make it to the NFL. But how many times have we seen a man make it to the NFL, but he didn't have the character to stay there? It doesn't, and listen, what matters matters, and make make time for what matters. And one more time for the men in the room, if I could just encourage you, boys will often, 15% of boys, only 15% will stay connected to their faith and to their faith community when dad doesn't come to church. But when dad does, that number goes from 15 to 75. If you don't think how you spend your time communicates value, you're mistaken, and I love you enough to tell you that, don't fall victim to your calendar. Own your calendar and decide what is important, and when it's important, put it on it. The other thing I'd encourage you to do, increase the quality of quantity time. Can I encourage you with something? I've been to a lot of parent talks and conversations, and every time I go, I sort of have this inner dialogue, and my guess is someone in the room has it. I have an inner dialogue that goes something like this. Great, I'm not doing any of this stuff. I have failed as a parent you're thinking, hey, this guy's not giving me five principles. He's giving me five problems. I mean, five more problems I got to worry about. I left the milk out last night, and then now I got to worry about these five things. Listen, hey, revolutionary parents are not superhuman. Revolutionary parents don't get it all done. Okay, That's, that's Instagram, all right? That's not real life. Revolutionary parents just say, hey, I'm gonna increase the quantity of quality time. Quality time's important. Man, taking a family vacation, that's great. If you can do that, that's awesome. But you know what your kids need more than that? Your, your, your kids need quantity of quality time. Some of you in the room, your kids have quantity of time with you. I spent the whole day with them, but everybody's like this. That's not quality time. Increase the quantity of quality time. Make the time that you have matter. Uh, where Jesus pulled the most important commandment which is from Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy uh, chapter six, Moses just gets done talking about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. Then he says this, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Now listen to this. Talk about them, When you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up, I love this, tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hey, listen, Moses understood. He's like, hey, if we're going to stay in the promised land, we need to keep what's important, important. And by the way, this doesn't mean that you have to hold hold a church service every night at your home. All it means is you're going to increase the quantity of quality time. When you're driving in the car, you're not just listening to any music, you're listening to music that's gonna encourage your kids or you're having a conversation about what they talked about. Don't just ask your kids what God is doing in their life when you leave church on Sunday. Ask them on Monday, ask them on Friday, ask them on Wednesday. When they got a test, hey, can we pray about that? When you sit down for dinner, hey, let's pray. It could be as simple as that. Increase the quantity a quality time. One of the things that I love about our family ministry is we have a, a ParentQ app. It's a free app. You download the app and it'll tell you exactly what we talked about in all of our environments. And so what, what I love is it just gives you cues, parent cue, just give you cues to say, hey, while you're driving your kid because they're in middle school and you have suddenly become a taxi service, okay? While you're driving your kid around, talk to him about this, ask him this question. Yeah, I know you don't see your high schooler at all, but when they go into the kitchen because that's where the food is, okay? Swing into the kitchen and ask them this question. Ask them about what God is doing in their life. When you have young kids, don't send them to bed. Tuck them into bed. Take that five minutes and lean in and say, hey, what's God doing in your life? Or for for us as parents, one of the things I ask my daughter all the time is, hey, how's your heart? How's your heart? What's going on? Is there anything going on we need to talk about? And speaking of which, the fourth principle is fighting for the heart. Guard the value in your unique relationship. And I'll try to go through this kind of quickly. In, in, in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul encourages Timothy. He says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Mark encouraged me with that scripture. I actually have it hanging up in my office uh, when, we got, when I got ordained. And, and I think that it was written to a pastor, but can I just tell you as a parent, as a grandparent, aunt, uncle, if you have influence in the life of a child, there's been a treasure entrusted to you and guard it, just guard it. Because here's the thing, Uh, Ephesians would say this and Paul, Paul would say this in Ephesians, he says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Don't you appreciate having that armor of God song, having kids sing that? Guys, listen, the reason why that's so important to us as a church, the reason why Molly and Austin wrote that song, the reason why they did that is because for us, I'm not saying this to be overdramatic or to scare you, but there is a target on our kids and our students today. Our, our, our culture is out to tear down their faith as early as possible. If you don't think it's true, you're not, your eyes aren't open. And, and I'm just telling you, you have a unique Role as their spiritual leader. You're not called to be their best friend. You're called to be their parent or their grandparent. One of the things that Dan has been encouraging our staff with is he's been asking, Hey, is your priority holiness or happiness? You know what God wants for your kids? (laughs) Your God wants holiness for your kids. Now, listen, you might say, Oh, holiness, what are you talking about? Listen, God's best is holiness. We've got a culture that tries to fill the void that they have with anything and everything. If I can just get that promotion, if I could just get that degree, if I, you know, they try to fill it with all kinds of things. They try to fill it with sex and drugs or relationships or validation out from outside. They try to fill it with everything. The only thing that's going to fill that void is Jesus Christ. And I'm just telling you, holiness (laughs) leads to wholeness. I want my children to feel whole and affirmed, not cause dad, but cause of Jesus, that's what I want. And so I wanna teach them what is right. I wanna teach them what God's word says. I want the Holy Spirit to be at work in my daughter's life. She so accepted Christ last year and we've had lots of conversation. Hey, is the Holy Spirit putting to work inside of you, the fruits of the Spirit? You're asking the Holy Spirit to help you with self-control. You're asking them to help, help you with patience, love and joy and peace and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, the Holy Spirit putting that to work inside of you. When we give our kids convictions, they can walk in confidence, raise them in the way that they should go and they won't depart from it. Now that's kind of one side of the parenting pendulum. The other side of it because there's, there's sometimes we try to be their best friend and we, we, we forfeit this, this special calling we have in the life of a child. But the other side of it is like, yeah, you're right, preach it, holiness. I'm gonna hit my, head, my kid over the head with the Bible. That'll teach him you know, holiness. You know? Listen, hey, let me just lean in. Paul talks a lot about as dads, fighting for the heart. What's the most important thing for me and my kids? It's not that they always obeyed me. I want them to imagine the end. I don't want to say, they always obeyed me. I want to say that I have a good relationship with them and they love God and they love others. And so I have to fight for the heart. And so for that, you need to engage in open, honest, respectful conversations. Your kids need to be able to disagree with you sometimes. Let them be open. Let them be honest. Make sure you're respectful. The other day, to show you, I'm not perfect. The other day we were driving home and I was trying to have a conversation with my wife, and I mean, we got three kids in the back, and, and like every three seconds, "Hey mom, hey mom, hey mom!" And literally, she couldn't get two words out. And so finally, I was like, "Ah, oh, be quiet!" You know, just totally non-pastor role. Okay, I just yelled at my kids. And we got home, and I'm trying to increase the quantity of quality time. I'm tucking my daughter in, and she says, "Dad, when you when you yelled at us, it made me feel like you don't love me." <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Now I could have got defensive. And that kid said, Well, I'm the dad, you know. And, and sometimes I do get defensive. But I said, Hey, I'm gonna fight for the heart. I said, Liz, I'm sorry. Sometimes the most important words your kids can hear from you is, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have yelled at you. That wasn't respectful. I apologized, asked her to forgive me, and of course, oh yeah, I forgive you. But then we had a conversation that said, Now, Liz, remember, open and honest. I said, Liz, do you know that mom and dad love you? Yeah. I know you love me. I said, okay, well, I'm sorry you felt like I didn't love you, but what's the truth? Well now, in fighting for the heart, I'm having a conversation with my daughter about how feelings don't equate to truth. I can feel something, I'm sorry you felt that way, but what's true? We love you. Fight for the heart. Last thing, I'm gonna go quick on this. Notice that there's a difference between your relationship and your role. When we started, last November, we started our fourth and fifth grade environment, Studio 45. And the reason why we did that is because in doing a lot of the research, and I didn't say this any other hour, I don't really have time for this, but in our culture, when I say there's a target on our kids, the average age of exposure to pornography is fourth grade. So there's a target on our kids. And we're, the faith in next generation is worth everything. And so we said, okay, we wanna lean in in this phase. And around fifth and sixth grade, parents start getting pushback from their kids. And a lot of times what will happen is parents will lean back and unintentionally parents will check out and we, we wanted to start that, that environment because we wanted to lean into parents and say, hey, hey, listen, a change is coming. Your role is gonna change, but that doesn't mean your relationship doesn't change or it should change or the relationship's not a priority. Your role is just changing. Don't check out. You still gotta invest in this relationship. Your role just changes. When you're in elementary, when your kids are in elementary, you're an air traffic controller. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, okay, hey, do you have shoes on? Hey, did you take a bath? When's the last time you took a bath? You know, did you go to the bathroom? before we get in the car. I mean, you're just asking all the air traffic controller questions, just getting them to the place where they need to be on time. But when you all of a sudden, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, and they start becoming a student and you start saying, okay, my role's gonna change from an air traffic controller. Now I'm going to be a sideline coach. Because they know how to make it down the field a little bit. So instead of, instead of air traffic controlling them, I'm gonna say, okay, you know how to make some of the plays? You know how to, you know how to call some things? I'm over here on the side, I'm gonna let you start calling some plays while well, the stakes are low. And you might, guess what? Your student might end up getting sacked, but guess what? You're gonna get on the field and you're gonna help them get back up. And there's gonna be, sometimes your student's gonna make it all the way to the end zone and you're gonna be their biggest cheerleader, you're their coach on the side, but your role changes. Okay, last principle. Probably the one that's the hardest, but the one that's the most important. We have five principles for our small group leaders too. And what's interesting is this one is the same. Make it personal. Guys, you can't, if you're the spiritual leader, if you're the primary spiritual leader for your kid, you can't lead someone to a place you have never been. Second Timothy, Paul said this. He said, I remember your honest and your true faith. He's was talking to Timothy. He said, it was alive first and your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm certain that it is now alive in you also. Mark encouraged our small group leaders the other day for first to 12th grade. He told them, he said, hey, I want you to know that more is often caught than taught. Guys, no matter who you are in the room, if you're a parent, you're a grandparent, you don't have any kids, these five principles are important. Okay, you need to imagine the end. Are you living in the center of God's will for your life? When you get to the end of your life, do you wanna say, hey, I made a lot of money? Or do you wanna say, hey, I followed God? Are you widening your circle? Are you trying to do faith on your own? Are you creating a rhythm? Are you saying, hey, I'm going to put into the rhythm of my life the things that matter most. I'm gonna have time alone with God. I'm gonna come and worship. And let us not get out of the habit of gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. In the Hebrews, it says that. Hey, let us, I'm gonna to gather together and to make my faith a priority. Some of you need to fight for your own heart because the whole time I've been talking, instead of five principles, you've heard five problems. You, you've heard a voice in your head saying, guess what? You're a grandparent. You missed it. Guess what? You're a stepdad. You missed it. Guess what? You can't do this. You've already failed as a parent. That's not the voice of your heavenly father. Tell that voice to get out of here. That is not the voice of your heavenly father. Your heavenly, yes. Your heavenly father does not speak over you with the voice of shame. Shame is a lot different than conviction. Shame says there is no future. Conviction says, hey, the best, my best should be your future. God's best for your life. You might feel conviction today. That's okay. You might say, Hey, I gotta get this right. That's okay. That's all right. More's caught than taught. You gotta, you gotta own this. But if it's shame, that's not the voice of your heavenly father. You know it's interesting because a thousand third through twelfth graders were surveyed and they asked them, they say, Hey, what do you want from your parents? And you would think they'd say, Oh, more allowance money, or I'd like to go on more vacations, or I'd like more time with them. You know what? A thousand third through 12th graders said the number one thing was they wanted their parents to be less stressed. Make it personal. You gotta you got own your, the only person that's accountable for your spiritual health is you. Make it personal. The last, last thing is to model an authentic relationship with Jesus. I told you that if you're here today and you're not sure what you believe, I hope you leave here believing who New Spring is and what New Spring's about we want to help parents and families in our community win but can I just tell you, you can't lead someone where you haven't been I've had the privilege of watching Dan give the invitation a lot to kids and one of the things he'll start off with saying almost every time is, did you know you're not born into God's family and every time there's at least one second grader that'll be like, what, what did he say you're not born into God's family you're not The message of scripture tells us that we are born broken. We are separated from a perfect, holy God. But that's where Jesus enters into the scene. We talk about John 3.16. We talked about how God so loved the world. We say God loved, and we have all the kids repeat it. And we say, okay, God gave Jesus. God gave Jesus. If you're in the room, you're not sure what you believe, can I just tell you that there are, listen, you know that you can't live up to God's perfect standard. I don't live up to my own standard, okay? Like, you know, there's a diet I should have, I don't have it, okay? I don't live up to my own standard, and you know that. You know you don't live up to your own standard as well. And because of that, that separates us from a holy God. But he did not leave us alone. He said, Hey, I'm gonna make a way. And so he sent Jesus, and Jesus lived the perfect life that you never could. He lived the perfect life that you should have lived, and then he laid that life down on a cross. And the blood that came out of his body paid for every wrong thing you've done and every wrong thing I've done, and as sweet as our children are, every wrong thing they've done. And he paid for it. Last year, my daughter had the privilege, or my wife had the privilege of leading our daughter to Christ. And she told my daughter, she said, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of like when we go out with Papa to a restaurant and the check comes, someone has to pay for what has been consumed. And the check gets laid down on the table and Papa always says, oh, I'll pay for it. She said, that's what Jesus did for you. You have things that separated you from God, but Jesus came and said, hey, I wanna step in, I'm gonna pay for that the blood that came out of his body paid for the wrong that you and I have done. And when he rose from the dead, he proved that his check clears and that he had the power to pay for the things that I've done. If, if you're in the room and you haven't done this, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray. The first thing I'd like to pray is I'd like to pray for everyone in this room. I'd like to pray for the parents, for the grandparents, for the stepdads, the stepmoms, for the, for the people that came and you're like, I'm not even a parent, does today apply to me? Yeah, it applies to you. These five principles will make a difference in your life. I guarantee you, you probably have influence in the life of a young one. So I'm gonna pray over you and I'm gonna pray that God would bless you and that again, you would listen to the right voice. Most important thing for me and as a dad is that my, my children hear my voice. We're at a busy store and I'm trying to get their attention. Hey, August, August, it's my middle son. August, can you hear me? Your your heavenly father's trying to speak to you today. And again, if you hear five problems, that's not the voice of your heavenly father. There might be conviction today, but there also needs to be a way forward. And God wants to lead you in that. So I'm gonna pray that he would and that you would allow him to. You'd hear the voice of your heavenly father. But after I pray that blessing over the parents, the grandparents and everyone in this room, I'd like to give you an invitation to be a part of God's family because God's got adoption papers on the table. He signed, he said, hey, I can let you into my family. I want you to be a part of my family. He's not gonna make you sign it. But if you want to, the offer's there. It's as simple as putting your faith and trust that Jesus died for you and that he had the power to redeem you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father God, I pray over every parent in this room, every grandparent, every stepmom or stepdad, every student that's in this room, I pray that they would be in the center of your will for their life, that they would lead their children or their students, the kids they have influence, they would lead them well. They would model the faith that they have, that they would widen their circle. They don't have to do it alone. They don't have to do this alone. Help them to know that we're we're beside them. Help them to create the rhythms they need to, to put you into every part of their life. God, help them to fight for these young children's hearts and help them to know that you have fought so hard for theirs. We pray this blessing over them, that you would lead them out and encourage them. In Jesus' name. Now, in just a moment more, I'd like to give you an invitation. If you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, you can do that right now. God's word says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The stuff that you're trying to own up for, the stuff that you wanna pay for, the things that you've done wrong, you don't have to pay for those. You can leave those at the foot of the cross. So I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. There's nothing magical about the thing I'm gonna say. It's just words that cry out to God and I'm gonna pray it slowly. So if you'd like to repeat them after me, you can do that and you can leave today knowing you're part of God's family. Dear Jesus, Thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that he lived the perfect life that I never could. I believe he died on the cross to pay for the things I've done wrong. And I believe he rose from the dead. Forgive me, save me, make me a part of your family today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you. We want to give you a free gift. Again, we want to come alongside you. So if you would just text the word P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97000, we've got this free gift. You can go buy one of our information kiosks and pick it up. It's just got a Bible like the one that Mark preaches from and a book that he wrote that I will encourage you in making the most important decision of your life. Um, for the, the rest of you, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you go out excited about how we make the meatloaf here at New Spring Church. And don't forget, next weekend we start start going pro. It's going to be the biggest thing we've been a part of. We hope to see you here. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.